0: Welcome to the Garbage Fire Podcast, a.k.a. MFKS Radio, on the airwaves dial at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Megan and Kelsey, who are not inclined to reserve all judgments. Well done. I think I you it. You did
1: nail it. Um, so welcome to part one of nine. <laughs> oh, I need to start the timer. <laughs> of our uh, Great Gatsby series. Um, we Before we started recording, we decided that uh, we are going to try and keep these to like 30-ish minutes per, because otherwise... It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, this first one, I say that, and this first one will be a little bit longer, because we'll set up a little bit of how we're going to yes. structure it. And also, um,
0: it's very hard for us to only talk about this for yes. 25 minutes. Yeah,
1: and so we're going to do like, it's like going to be 25 minutes per chapter. Oh boy. So, buckle up. I guess um, that was a bad joke I'm it so was a sorry. Bad joke oh, oh boo <laughs> boo <laughs> spoiler. oh I'm really upset that you didn't pick up on it right away <laughs> oh Megan
0: I'm done okay, um, okay.
1: so we um, we have both taught The Great Gatsby as um, a novel study Novel study. Um, we like to do it with the grade 11s, mm-hmm. whereas at my school they do it with the grade twelves, and it ruins everything. Um, and so when I like th- when I teach it, I start with a questionnaire, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's sixteen questions, and I just get my kids to kind of think. It has nothing to do with the book. It has everything to do with just sort of definitions of greatness and thematic, yeah, and and some thematic ideas. And so that's how we're going to start each chapter discussion. Yes, is with a question from that questionnaire because think it'll kind of frame our discussion and help us keep to a time. Yes. More so than if we just talk.
0: Mm-hmm. Which we can. <laughs> which we can. As we you can could. attest to. So. Ready for question number one? For chapter number one? Let's do it. What quality in other people do you most admire?
1: I would say empathy. Empathy is a great quality. Um, I think that personally for me, I think that when other people can at least attempt empathy, maybe it's not perfect, Mm -hmm. maybe it's not complete and total empathy, but when they can at least attempt it, I find it so much easier to relate to people, because I am, by nature, quite empathetic. And I find it frustrating when other people aren't.
0: Yes. What is the reasoning behind people who do not attempt empathy? I don't know. Where does that come from? What is the purpose of that?
1: I think some people are just selfish, or maybe self-absorbed, and mm-hmm. aren't willing to um, sort of explore that. Um, and I think also people, which I think it's funny too, like people who know me really well, it maybe is surprising to them that empathy is important to me because like I come across as not that right. in a lot of ways. But I think that, like, some people are maybe unwilling to allow that vulnerability to be present, and they, mm-hmm. they're, they're afraid of it in some capacity, mm-hmm. and so they choose to, like, hide it so that they don't have to show it.
0: Oh, I like that. Um, yeah. There is definitely this perception of empathy as weakness. Yes. In society, and I think that's wrong.
1: Yeah, because all empathy means, and if you remember, those of you who listened last summer when we did our um, To Kill a Mockingbird discussion, and the whole idea of walking around in other people's shoes, Mm -hmm. that's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's just understanding where someone is coming from.
0: And self-awareness is a big part of that. Yes. And knowing your place in someone's feelings. Yes.
1: And knowing that it's not always about you. Yeah. Yeah even if it feels like it could be, that, like, people are entitled to the feelings that they have about the situations that they're in. Yes. And you don't get a say.
0: In those feelings. In those feelings. So if
1: someone comes to you and says that they're offended by something that you have done, Mm -hmm. you don't get to apologize by saying...
0: I'm sorry you were offended.
1: I'm sorry you were offended. You have to say, I'm sorry I offended you. Yes. Yes. And I think that people who display empathy can distinguish between those two things, and people who don't can't necessarily.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree.
1: What about you? What's your quality that you most admire in others?
0: I think it's integrity. Okay. And integrity to me means when your words and your actions are in alignment. And I say that perhaps quite ironically because I find integrity very difficult to emulate in my own life. How so? I think people want to say, yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. But then it's very hard to follow through. And following through is really important because it shows care. It shows love. It shows respect. It shows truth integrity I think is the culminating point of a lot of different other qualities Okay. and okay. so it's something to work on it's something to work towards okay. and it's hard to get right all the time so when I see people who have actions that I feel embody integrity I often look to those people as role models
1: okay interesting I like that because like yeah like the idea of follow-through you're right um, is hard for people
0: mm-hmm. I think it's a process man
1: well it is because and again and I think it speaks again to that idea of like showing weakness and vulnerability because if you if you say mm-hmm. you're gonna do a thing and you can't do it or you don't do it then there's a like a second set of um, emotions and feelings that sort of come with that mm-hmm. because you, you weren't able to follow through and maybe it was circumstantial, maybe it was by choice maybe it's because you didn't mean the thing you said in the first place whatever it is um, but being able to do that and sometimes being able to follow through when the follow through is hard yes. that's I think when it matters the most, when it's easy it's not a big deal you're mm-hmm. just whatever, but when the follow through is difficult or you have to tell your friend the thing that you know they're not going to want to hear yeah. But you have to do it because, because it's, it's the right thing to say. The right to thing say. to do, yeah, um, for I think your
0: integrity and theirs. There's almost like this self-sacrificial quality that belongs with integrity too, right?
1: That you can't have integrity if you're not willing to. That yes. it's not inte- it not that really you can't have it. That it's not integrity if you're not willing to give up something of yourself Mm -hmm. in order to possess the thing Mm -hmm. okay I like it Mm.
0: I love this book so much
1: we (laughs) should just not go to work tomorrow and just keep talking all night I Um, we're at
0: 17 minutes (laughs) no we're not we're at (laughs)
1: 7
0: well you said 25 minutes so so we're at 7
1: in I got this Um, okay
0: we need to talk about context
1: yes So, Great Gatsby was written uh, in 1925, it was published, Um, and it is a fascinating, fascinating look at sort of, like, the decline, or 1926, rather, sorry, Mm -hmm. the decline of civilization.
0: Yes. Um, As Fitzgerald sees it. As Fitzgerald sees
1: it, and it's incredible that it happened, that it was published before the stock market crash, and before the Second World War, and before sort of everything that's come. Very prescient. Oh, so, and it's absolutely incredible that he was... Um, able to, I don't want to say predict it, but definitely see sort of out of where they were in that jazz age and those roaring twenties, the mm-hmm. like, the sort of the veneer coming off.
0: I love that word of veneer because I think that is apt as it applies to our protagonist. Each of our characters have <coughs> a sort of shiny or non shiny. Mm-hmm. Perhaps Ashen veneer about themselves. Thank <laughs> like, you. Yeah. Um oh, we should have a whiteboard keeping track of these ones. I know. <laughs> ashen writing it down. Um and it really reflects a lot of Fitzgerald's own values. So he's coming out of World War One. Yeah. He's a part of that lost generation literary group like Hemingway and Etc., etc., because I'm blanking on other people in it because I didn't prepare for this podcast, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> We've only been talking about it for a month. I know. Yeah. But um, so, lost generation is a term who's, who's given to people coming out of World War One who are um, dissatisfied with what they've seen as the realities <coughs> of the world based on all obviously the terrible experience of fighting in the Great War. And so they kind of meander around Europe. Mm -hmm. looking for truth, looking for honesty looking for what they believe to be the new sort of morals and and system that society should be based on. Right. And so obviously as he's coming to the 20s and the rapid economic and social change of the 20s. Yes. Fitzgerald's got a few things to say about them. He
1: does and, and he says them in some um really really tight prose um if you've not I mean I don't know if you're, why you'd be listening to this if you haven't read the book Aaron Kelly I don't know um, seriously
0: read this fucking book it's so
1: good it's short the version that I have it's like 190 is 172 pages yeah, and it's, so, it's short. so short and it's a tough read it's not an easy read first chapter's tough but it's really good and the prose itself is just phenomenal like there is to me there is not a word out of place no um, and he was able to tell a very complicated
0: narrative yeah
1: story with incredible social implications mm-hmm. without being wordy at all
0: and it's in at times incredibly subtle, yes. Like, you really have to dive deep, which I think is why there's so much discussion about things like symbolism mm-hmm. in this novel, um, which we'll get to, obviously, at, at the end when we've seen and discussed them all. Um,
1: so, the ver- I just want to read the first the epigraph? line. epigraph? Um, no. Or- well, yeah, we could read the epigraph. Um, so, the epigraph uh, is... Then wear the gold hat, if that will move her. If you can bounce high, bounce for her, too. Till she cry, lover, gold-hatted, high-bouncing lover, I must
0: have you. Okay, can we chat about that for just a second? Absolutely. Okay. So, in that epigraph, with he, which he made up, it's yes. from a character that doesn't exist from his other book. Which is amazing. Which is amazing. Like, wouldn't you want to be that self-referential? Oh my god, yeah. Like, I don't need established work here, pal. Yeah. I've got my own. Um... In thinking about that thematic prompt for us. Yes. Do you think it's a overtly negative association or or sorry, critical judgment of the gold hatted man or the woman? Or do you think it's both?
1: I think it speaks more negatively about the woman. That she's tricked by mm. shiny things. Right. But she's drawn to these baubles and whatever um, without knowing what's behind them or underneath them or whatever.
0: Doesn't the tricker have culpability in this well, situation? Of course he does. But
1: he knows that he can trick her. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. Right. And so he's putting himself into a situation that he can then take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Which is a thing that exists in this novel from yes. the from first the page to the last. Yeah. And I think that, that it speaks more... Because um, to me, the her in the epigraph is Daisy Buchanan.
0: Yes, of course.
1: Um, and she has her, her moments where she's... Um, tricked in certain ways by but also tricks people. and also tricks people. yeah, um, which we will do with we got some wonderful questions from a colleague of ours. We um,
0: do. So hard ones. like fuck. great
1: questions. Um so yeah, I think that there's something to be said about this created character who's speaking this epigraph um and when you consider what Gatsby does to to get what he wants or Mm -hmm. what he thinks he wants it's very
0: it's very much exactly that
1: it is exactly that and because Fitzgerald invented it 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 is true exactly into what he's trying to say
0: Fitzgerald invented it and so it is true I'm writing that down because I want to come back to that in chapter nine (laughs) yes
1: that yes um, so um, the very first sentence of this book is wonderful. It's
0: fucking brilliant. Um, if
1: you want like a good quick summary of the actual book and you don't actually want to read it, you just want to listen to what we have to say, you should go and watch the two crash course videos uh, that John Green did. You have to deal with his like John Greenness, and that's fine. Yes. But they're very they're good. They're very good. Yeah. Very good succinct plot summaries, and he deals a little bit with like the rhythm of the prose and some of the themes and color symbolism and and whatnot and, and that social. Sort
0: of thing. Convention. Yeah,
1: Which yeah, yeah. might help if, if yes. you haven't read the book in a while or you're not going to read the book or whatever. But like, um, read the book! <laughs> so, the first the first sentence of this book um, our narrator is Nick, Nick Carraway. Um, he is telling this story after it has happened. So, mm-hmm. not as it's happened. And that's a very important framing and it's so subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, the only example I can think of that's more subtle than that is in Catcher in the Rye, where you have to read so carefully to know that the story is not being told as it's happening. Mm. This is very much like that. Mm-hmm. You get it at the end, but in the beginning you're like, "Oh, wait a second.
0: Yeah. And chapter 1 can be, I always tell my students, it's a it's a rough read. Yeah. Because it, it is. he's front-loading you with what he believes to be the important information that you need to know about him, which I want to get back to. Yeah. Um before he can tell you about these characters.
1: Yeah. So his very the very first sentence of this book is in my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since, and it—I like how bouncy that sounds. That's such a weird thing to say, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't necessarily normally associate bouncy prose with a male narrator, either.
0: No, this is full of fucking bouncy prose. Um,
1: and it's there's so much of it, and I it's wonder. It's a musical. And it's it's covering up so much of yeah what's going on. And the advice that his father gave him is: whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had.
0: Okay, we could talk for an hour just about this first line. Yes,
1: we're not going to, but I that's want how to. the book starts. Yes, and so what we get out of this first chapter is Nick giving us, like you said, all of this exposition of, about all of these characters and this this whole situation over this like one insane summer god
0: who's had a crazier summer nobody oh my god is this the original i know what you did last summer
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe it...
0: there's the fucking chapter title <laughs> all right um
1: so how do we want to how do we want to tackle this
0: i think it's crucial to when we're talking about the framing of the narrative Talk about what he feels about Gatsby. Right. And why he's talking about Gatsby.
1: Okay. Why is he talking about Gatsby?
0: Well, he believes that all of these shitty things happened in the shitty summer he had out east. So much so that essentially it's changed him. Yes. He's got a different perspective and a different world view because of what's happened in this summer. So that's why, I, like, when I teach this, I tell my students, like, you gotta buy in because this shit's gonna get cray. And right. yes, I do say it that way in my class. Right.
1: So he <laughs> says here, when I came back from the East last autumn, I felt that I wanted the world to be in uniform and had a sort of moral attention forever. Mm-hmm. I wanted no more riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into the human heart. Only Gatsby, the man who gives his name to this book, was exempt from my reaction. Gatsby who represented everything for which I have an unaffected score.
0: Which is so crucial. Yes. Because it's not that Gatsby is the best of the best, but somehow, despite him embodying all these things that Nick hates, Gatsby's the one who ends up on top.
1: And he is the great Gatsby. And he's great. Um, I like... The last bit of this this is all right at the very beginning and the last bit of this paragraph too he says here um uh, this responsiveness had nothing to do with that flabby impressionability, which is dignified under the name of the creative temperament it was an extraordinary gift for hope a romantic readiness such as i have never found in any other person and which it is not likely i shall ever find again no gatsby turned out all right at the end it is what preyed on Gatsby. What foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams that temporarily closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men.
0: Mm-hmm. What? And I love this because Nick and Fitzgerald are so close right now. Because we've got Nick being just as cynical, just as broken, after he comes back from World War One as well. Yes. Which the character fought in. And... It's being around Gatsby, it's seeing Gatsby that gives him this impression that, yes, hope does still exist in the world. Mm-hmm. And when you see all
1: of the things that have happened to Gatsby, and that Gatsby has brought on himself... Yes. It's amazing that he still had that capacity for hope.
0: Mm-hmm. Which I want to come back to that in the end and be like... Did he? Really, Nick, though? Yeah. Like, really? He's your role model, Nick? <laughs> But um, I digress. <laughs> so,
1: um, we are in Long on Long Island yes. in New York. Uh, there's West Egg and there's East Egg.
0: Mm-hmm. They're little here. peninsulas.
1: Yes, and they're across the water from each other. And Gatsby has purchased a home mm-hmm. um, across um, from the love of his life. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know that yet. We don't know that yet. But that's why Gatsby's done it. Mm-hmm. And so
0: he Nick's lives... next door.
1: Nick is next door in this shabby little house. Cottage. For... It's a cottage with $80 a month is yes. what he pays. Yes. He Which says... I
0: have done the inflation for that. Okay. And it's like $1,500 a month. Oh, so even still not... Not too... Like okay. that's kind of close to what I pay for rent. So... However, <laughs> Gatsby's house that he's renting yeah. is like... Twelve thousand dollars a season. Twelve or fifteen thousand a season, yes. Which is like a hundred thousand dollars a season. A gajillion dollars, yes. So Nick. So there's some
1: wealth disparity yes. here. So Gatsby and Nick live. Um, on West Egg. On West Egg. Um, and Nick's house is at the very tip of the egg, only fifty yards from Long Island Sound, and squeezed between two huge places, that rented for twelve or fifteen thousand a season. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't know who Gatsby was he didn't know his name he just knew that this whoever was there obviously had some means and money mm-hmm. and the place on the right was a colossal affair um, and it was a factual imitation of some Hotel de ville in Normandy so that's sort of the, the style mm-hmm. of the, the place it's
0: very grand, almost grotesque
1: I would say more grotesque than grand. Yeah. Because I think in East Egg... East Egg is the old money place. Yes. West Egg is the new money. And so in East Egg, you have these fashionable houses um, along East Egg. And this is where the people who have family money
0: mm-hmm.
1: inhabit for the summer. And there's a very, that's a very important distinction. Because on the other side of... On, on East Egg... People know who who owns the houses. Yes. Whereas on West Egg, you don't, mm-hmm. because the people that are there are renting them, and that's I think a very big distinction. There's a, a notion of permanence to that. Yeah. That doesn't exist. In permanence West Egg. versus impermanence. Yes. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um. <sighs> can we talk about the introduction of Tom? We sure can. Because it's so fucking savage. Like it's such a <sighs> low hard. He is, but Nick gets um, invited to dinner at his cousin Daisy's house, who lives across the bay from him, and uh, Daisy's married to this dude, Tom Buchanan, and I think this, the descriptions of Tom in here are probably, like, the most savage <laughs> descriptions of anyone that mm-hmm. I've ever heard in my fucking life life. Um, there's just a few snippets here. Um, I'm just trying to find it.
1: Like where he had changed since his New Haven years? Like that bit? You mean?
0: Mm. No, beforehand. Uh, it says her husband, among various physical accomplishments, had been one of the most powerful ends that had ever played football at New Haven. A national figure in a way, one of those men who reached such acute, limited excellence (laughs) at 21... (laughs) that everything afterward savors of anti (laughs) climax
1: Oh, so Tom Buchanan. (laughs) Tom Buchanan is that guy at the high school reunion who still wants to party with his buddies at his mom and dad's cabin, even though they graduated 25 years ago. Yeah. That's Tom Buchanan.
0: And there's something so... And we have to remember that Nick is telling us this, and he's telling us this after the fact so perhaps his opinions on these characters have changes but um the prompt that you were talking about says he had changed since his new haven years now he was a sturdy straw haired man of 30 with a rather hard mouth and a supercilious manner and this is what i love because you can imagine his body (coughs) Mm -hmm. and that's so crucial for tom's characterization Two shining, arrogant eyes had established dominance over his face and gave him the appearance of always leaning aggressively forward. Not even the effeminate swank of his riding clothes could hide the enormous power of that body. And then, it was a body capable of enormous leverage. <coughs> a cruel body. Yes.
1: Oh, it's mean. It's so mean. And then his speaking voice, a gruff husky tenor, added to the impression of fractiousness he conveyed. hmm and there was a touch of paternal contempt in it. Like, there's just... Yeah. Tom Buchanan, this is... And, like, in my in my copy here, um, it's... We're on page 12, and, like, the... <laughs> we're, we're, and, and it starts on page 7. So we're five pages in. Yeah. And you know that Tom Buchanan is the worst human being on the planet. Like, that is how he's awful. set up. Um, And so we first meet Tom and Daisy and Nick and then Jordan Baker. Mm-hmm. And we will get to Jordan Baker as we go through a little bit, but I would just like to come right out and say as we go that she is the most likable of those five characters. Which is saying something. And she is not likable at all.
0: No. But she is
1: the most likable, and part of it is because... She doesn't say much. (laughs) She doesn't say much, but also the things that she says, I believe, are very true. I don't think she has reason to be duplicitous, whereas everyone else is sort of... Right, right. Her veneer is as a professional athlete.
0: Yes. Um. But what she thinks she says. And she just. and Which
1: is refreshing in comparison to To all of the rest of the monsters in this book.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um. So every chapter is, uh, sort of surrounds a gathering of some kind. And so this one is Nick and Jordan and Tom and Daisy, um, having dinner. dinner
0: party. Yeah.
1: And it's just them. It's not, it's not a big dinner party. It's just the four of them. Um. And so and as the book goes on the the gatherings get more complicated and there's more people involved and more mm-hmm. things happen and
0: But this one's crucial because it establishes an initial conflict for us. Yes. Because in this chapter there is no Gatsby. In fact there is no Gatsby until chapter three. Right. So there has to be something crucial in these first two chapters that Nick wants us to know and care about. And a big part of that is how terrible these people are and we'll get to Daisy in a second Mm -hmm. but Tom Buchanan is having an affair yes openly yes his mistress calls during dinner to his house and I'm like really yeah really why doesn't he just hide it like why
1: because he's Tom Buchanan and he doesn't have to
0: that supercilious manner. I know. <laughs> but it's awful. Um, and that causes a big deal of conflict during this dinner party. But what I do love is that Jordan hushes Nick yes. during this dinner so that she can listen to Daisy and Tom's fight. Yes. Which is so delicious.
1: Yes. She's, yes. And that's one of the reasons why I think she is one of the more interesting characters because mm-hmm. she's very observant and she's very, um, she's very noticeable in so many ways because she's statuesque
0: and tall and but she jaunty body. But she,
1: like, blends into her surroundings so incredibly well mm-hmm. that I think sometimes people forget that she's part of this. Yeah. Because there's a reason that she's introduced in the beginning of the book. We don't meet Gatsby right away. We catch a little tiny glimpse of him, but we don't meet him right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but we meet Jordan Baker. Mm-hmm. And she has some observations about life and love and everything in between that she... That are crucial. Um, that she shares with Nick later on.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I love that. I love how Nick is just, like, so uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I for- uh, You've got it open, but the line that he says about the tension in the room, Mm -hmm. after they come back, is it the one where he says, um, his first instinct was to call for the police? Oh, yeah. Because it's so uncomfortable for him? Yes. And this is my first question for you, part one of nine. (laughs) Is Nick a weakling? Is he so sensitive that he's ridiculous?
1: I don't That's a really good question I don't know if he's so sensitive That he's ridiculous But I think Part of Nick's Whatever Is that He Needs to sort of feel important Yes In so many ways And I think that that leads him into some of these situations that are... Questionable. Very questionable. um, Which colors his view of the people he interacts with and, you know, sort of the world. (laughs) Humanity. Humanity, yes, on its own. That is true. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's a sensitivity necessarily. I don't, I think as he's reflecting on it, I think maybe it becomes a sensitivity, but I think when he was in it, mm. I don't necessarily think that it he It was just that observational that, quality. Yes, I don't know if he possessed that empathy just okay. yet.
0: And in this moment, I'd like to point out that Nick is judging the fuck out of everybody. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Extremely contradicting his incline to reserve all judgments motto he gives us in the first line of the book. hmm So, Nick questionable narrator
1: very much so
0: mm-hmm.
1: any first person narrator is unreliable yes but in this case because he's gone through this traumatic quote-unquote summer and i don't believe i, I i'm and I'm, i'll leave it at that and we'll talk about that okay. later Okay. because i don't necessarily think that it was traumatic for nick it was traumatic for other people oh, take But take i don't necessarily think it was traumatic for nick
0: hot take
1: um but as he goes through this this traumatic summer i think he is changed and i think it hardens him i don't think it softens him
0: yeah i think in chapter nine he's definitely hardened but i don't want to get there before we get there Um, um
1: but i think that you know this at the beginning here he's just sort of trying to like kind of feel Out the situation. He doesn't know Tom very well. He doesn't really know Daisy very well no. even though they're family. Yeah. So he's trying to sort of suss out his place in this dynamic. And yes. it's very made very clear that what he
0: he's a secret keeper.
1: What he is interested in is Jordan Baker. Yes. And he says that he like looking at her. Mhm. Um,
0: Does he also say, like, she's the scariest woman he's ever seen?
1: Something to that effect, <laughs> yes. Yeah, something like And that's fair.
0: It is fair. She's terrifying. Yeah. But um, in thinking about Nick and thinking about his narration, I think you're right. We do have to keep that hardness that, you know, after the fact hardness that he has, that that future tense almost. But also that... He told us right away at the start of the book, he has a bias. Yes. He has a bias to portray Gatsby in a way in which he is great. Because that's what Nick believes.
1: Yes. Because Gatsby turned all, out all right in the yes. end.
0: Yes. Gatsby did.
1: Nobody else did. <laughs> oh boy. Everybody else. Um, the thing, one of my favorite lines in this entire book mm-hmm. is about, was when Daisy talks about her daughter.
0: Um,
1: I, have- I think it's beautiful for so many reasons, and mm-hmm. we have a question about that's that? about that. That this idea that um, maybe mm-hmm. Daisy's ignorance is intentional. Yes. Um, so she, Tom, and Daisy have a, a child, and one of the interesting questions about this book is like, what happened to their child? No one knows because the child is really not referenced very much.
0: I had an amazing class the first year I taught this book, where they were like, "Okay, what if Pammy?" is a crime-fighting vigilante and she's in New York and she's having toddler fights with evil toddlers, and it was such a great class Oh, that sounds
1: phenomenal. I know, I
0: kept telling them to like write the story for me. My kids
1: were like, wouldn't they have a kid? I'm like, yes, they did have a child. (laughs) Thanks for noticing. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for paying attention. That was chapter one. Um, (laughs) But what Daisy says when she finds out that her child is a girl, when they tell her that it's a girl, her response was, All right, I'm glad it's a girl, and I hope she'll be a fool. That's the best thing a girl can be in this world, a beautiful little fool. Okay. And I fucking love that line. What do you love about it? Because I'm assuming
0: you don't agree with it.
1: I don't agree with it in the slightest. But what I love is that Daisy, right there, what we hear from that, Mm -hmm. she plays all of her cards. Immediately. Right there. We know know that for the most part, what we see from her is... Is what we're gonna get
0: Yes, there's not subterfuge with Daisy No Her emotions are on her face Her feelings are on her face Her thoughts, her desires are on her face
1: Everything is visible She would not be a good poker player Um, And I like that she gives us that right away Mm -hmm. There's no She's not the one who's keeping the secret
0: No, and I think it's a little bit sad too About how she's I'm always trying to provide some Sympathy for Daisy But she hasn't seen Nick in years and forgot that he went off to war. Yeah. Okay, great cousin, great relationship. (laughs) But um, the first thing that she does once they're alone is to confide in Nick. Yes. And I think that tells you a lot about her feelings maybe of being suffocated and trapped and desperate. Yes. Because she needs... Something to cling to. And she's definitely someone who clings. She's like that cat. Oh, yes. She is, yes. From the poster. Or like
1: that, that raccoon that like climbed up that building in Minnesota yes. just recently. Like, that is what she is. Because she needs to hold on to...
0: Something. Anything. Literally
1: anything. Literally but anything. She, for her, it, it's like this impression or this image of... Mm-hmm. Grandeur. I don't even want to say wealth. I just... Just this idea... Of the sort of grandeur and the spectacle of life right. is the thing that she needs to hold on to, mm-hmm. and so if her daughter because wants she to,
0: doesn't have anything else,
1: yes, and if her daughter is going to be a beautiful fool, that is the perfect thing that she could be, because then she too can grab onto this mm-hmm. this grandeur
0: and be unhurt by the harsh realities of life yes, kind of thing. Yes. So the question that we have. Uh, was in our world of Me Too, how is her intentional ignorance or desire for intentional ignorance an indication of intelligence? So, essentially, does that wish for her daughter to be ignorant a smart thing?
1: I think, yes, sort of. I think her wish for that is to is for her daughter to have the opportunity to sort of live untouched in the world. Yeah. And I think that by being ignorant of sort of the... Um, I was just thinking, like, the, the thing from the shadow, like, who knows what danger lurks in the hearts of men, but it's that Absolutely. notion. I think that to be sort of innocent of that mm-hmm. for a while is fine.
0: But counterpoint... Doesn't being innocent of that make you vulnerable to that?
1: If you're doing it alone, yes. If you have someone to kind of Mm -hmm. keep an eye on things. Because Daisy knows by saying that
0: She's gonna have to be the one.
1: Yes, and Daisy knows that like, that, you know, the best thing for a girl to be is a beautiful fool, which tells me that Daisy's not a fool. Because she knows. Yes. And so I think if, 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 Pammy has someone looking out for her Mm -hmm. and that someone even is her mother then at the very least she has some time to sort of experience the world in this like pure, untouched unrefined way.
0: Point of view, yeah. And I think that really reflects what I do like about Daisy in this chapter and I'm (laughs) sad that it's absolutely discarded in future chapters is her beautiful, sarcastic cynicism. Yes. When she says, I know. I've been everywhere and seen everything and done everything. And it says, Her eyes flashed around her in a defiant way, rather like Tom's, and she laughed with a thrilling scorn. Sophisticated. God, I'm sophisticated. <sighs> I fucking love that line. It's great. Because she's not.
1: She's not. Um, And Nick recognizes this Right away he says It made me uneasy as though the whole evening had been a trick of some sort To exact a contributory emotion from me Mm -hmm. I waited and sure enough in a moment she looked at me with an absolute smirk on her lovely face As if she had asserted her membership in a rather distinguished secret society To which she and Tom belonged I
0: fucking love that line
1: And like I feel like this is a very good place to stop for this chapter, okay, because I mean, really, the rest of it, none of it really matters.
0: Nick no. catches a, he catches a
1: glimpse of Gatsby, um, who then vanishes into the and and Nick is then left alone in the unquiet darkness, which is like a wonderful image. Mm-hmm. But nothing else really happens. True, we've already found out Tom's having his affair. Daisy knows about it. Mm-hmm. That she's called during dinner. Nick mm-hmm. had no idea because I don't think he pays attention to things right away. No. Um, Daisy and Tom asked him some sort of questions about himself. Oh, how are things, basically. To like it's make all him feel, surface. But it's all surface. They don't really care. Um, and so that idea that Tom and Daisy belong to a secret society is such a powerful thought considering what happens next.
0: And not just a secret society itself, but one in which only she and him belong. Yes. And that's so... Yes,
1: it's not the secret society of of East Egg. No. Or of this old money. It's D&D. Tom and Daisy. And Together possibly their child. If they haven't forgotten about her. Well, um, they mostly do. So I think this is a good time to stop. Okay. Because otherwise...
0: I do have one last question. Do You
1: have one last question. Okay, let's do it. Uh,
0: why are the characters so unrelatable? And is this used by Fitzgerald as a deliberate... Well, I think
1: I would say, and I don't know because I can't speak for authorial intent, but I'm gonna. Sorry, John Green. Um, <laughs> I think that because of the context in which this is written and, and sort of in that roaring 20s, mm-hmm. you know, where there is this almost this like surplus of wealth, but as we now know, it was a lot of fake wealth yes. and credit based wealth and whatnot. Yes. Um, I think that there's this, um, I think that there's sort of this idea, perhaps, that um, these characters represent sort of the grotesque in people. Mm -hmm. So, like, Tom Buchanan is an awful person.
0: He's a racist. We didn't even touch on that.
1: He's, he's, but he, like, there's nothing redeeming about him. No. The only good thing that will happen in Tom Buchanan's miserable life will be him dying. Like that is, that is it, right? Like that, you know.
0: Well, he can't win football games anymore. No,
1: um, and that's so that's what his
0: purpose was.
1: And so, so for for someone like Tom Buchanan and Daisy is is awful in her own way, um, As which we'll see. you don't get that at the beginning. Uh, and like I said, Jordan Baker is the least awful of, of these the awful characters. <laughs> Um, but I think that, like, (laughs) I think the characters are so unrelatable Mm. is because they're almost composites of people. I don't, like, I think that the the way that they're portrayed, they're very, like, extreme. And so it's all of these bad qualities all kind of combined together
0: to make a character. So do you, like, if you're thinking, like, Jordan Baker is the least of the bad... Is she the Bedino Mussolini of the group? Was he the least bad? I well, guess... he died the first. Oh, I suppose so.
1: <laughs> do Well, if that's, if that's the metric by which we are measuring... Then no. Then absolutely not.
0: But here is a metric by which we are measuring. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much would you want to go to this gathering slash party? Um, I'm going to say
1: 1.5. Really? Yeah too intimate way too
0: intimate i feel like i'm a six okay because i just love a good gossip i just jordan baker's there kind of like whispering the uh, shit in my ear and really you don't have any emotional connection to the people at that party right nick is obviously thinking with his penis oh yeah but that's as far as it goes I think you'd want to be there to see it go down.
1: I feel like yeah. any party where one of the guests feels inclined to call the police after, like, a fight between a husband yes. and wife is one that I would not want to be at.
0: Well, yeah, there's that, too. Right.
1: And then that's kind of where I'm at. Where I'm okay, video. that's
0: fair. Let's average it out and say three. <laughs> three and a half. Sure, three and a half. Three and a <laughs> half. Let's do it. Perfect. All right.
1: Um, so that's chapter one, Great Gatsby.
0: Oh, there's so much we didn't talk about. That's I'm okay. dying.
1: Um, we can't. I know. Stay tuned for next week. We don't really know how often these are going to get posted. We haven't decided that yet.
0: We're recording a
1: shitload tonight. Yeah, because we're not going to do nine weeks. Because that feels like maybe too many. Who knows? We could, I don't know. So stay tuned next time. We'll have, you'll find it, I suppose, when you (laughs) refresh your iTunes. It's a
0: mystery! Um,
1: Just like what happens in the end. Um, Well, that's not a mystery. It's not. Um, But yeah, so thank
0: you for listening to us. And we'll see you in the dumpster? I suppose so. Are we just ending it? Okay. I think so. Bye. <laughs>